Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Justin Trudeau offers help to the provinces. We know uh, that the situation is serious, not just in Ontario, but right across the country. And uh, different jurisdictions are uh, making uh, the decisions that, uh, that they feel are appropriate for them uh, to keep people safe, to get through this as quickly as possible. And uh, I'm going to uh, check in with him to see uh, what we can offer as a federal government to help uh, get Ontarians and indeed all Canadians do this as quickly as possible. Erin O'Toole says a Conservative government would call a public inquiry into the pandemic response. We must pledge to learn from the mistakes made and improve our resilience and readiness as a country. Our attention should be on getting the country back on its feet. But when the pandemic is over, we need answers. We need to know what worked and what didn't. And Harjit Sajjan says he had conversations in 2018 about an allegation of misconduct against General Jonathan Vance. I had a number of conversations uh, with my chief of staff to, to making sure to, to inquire if there's any uh, progress um, on uh, uh, the allegations, if the former ombudsman had provided uh, the necessary information. It's Wednesday, April the 7th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us today. Oh, thanks for the call, Mark. Let's talk about where we stand with regard to lockdowns across the country. I know you're in Atlantic Canada where uh, the, the coronavirus is much more under control than it is in other parts of the country like Ontario. Uh, but what's your sense of, of how harshly some governments are going to have to respond to a recent rise in the rate of infections. Well, more infections means more and stricter measures, or it should mean that, because, Mark, I just don't see any other way to get around it. Uh, I understand that the political uh, point of view of some of the premiers, you know, Doug Ford maybe or Jason Kenney, or uh, Premier Mo in Saskatchewan may be anti-lockdown and and try to keep the restrictions as loose as possible in order to maintain um, some semblance of economic uh, stability. But uh, I don't think there's any place in the world that has managed to tangle with uh, the coronavirus successfully without major lockdowns and restrictions on movement. So, uh, you know... uh, Atlantic Canada, you know, people, the governments were strict and are strict. And uh, they've already said, you know, any more outbreaks around here and there's going to be lockdowns again. And people are really heeding that and maybe less so in other parts of Canada, but they're paying the price for that. I mean, there's been over a million coronavirus infections in this country, Mark. And, uh, you know, this is only uh, an indication that uh, people are not doing enough to fight it in their own backyards. Yeah. And what about vaccines? Let's talk about that. The prime minister's offering help to the provinces in administering the vaccines if necessary. There's been some back and forth between the health minister and Doug Ford's government in Ontario about the numbers of vaccines that are available. There have been criticisms that there are vaccines going unused, still in storage. Uh, Do you think there has been an effective rollout across the country, or are there still issues that need to be sorted out? 
Well, I think a truly effective rollout would see a lot more people vaccinated. But, uh, you know, this is a matter of shared jurisdiction. And how many times, Mark, over the years have we seen issues and and, uh, programs that require you know, two levels, or in this case, three levels of government to cooperate. And that's not always easy to do. We don't have standing structures that are there uh, within our our federal, provincial, municipal system that would be, uh, you know, somebody could just call up and say, okay, get this going with the provinces. So, you know, you, you don't have uh, unanimous approaches to it either. The feds are only able to do so much. Now, uh, you know, they have been slow in getting the uh, vaccines into the country and out to the provinces. But by that uh, same token, the provinces have also been slow in uh, in distributing the vaccines. So, you know, there's everybody has got something to wear on this. Uh, but this is not the time to be squabbling over that. This is the time to get this stuff moving. Um, but I don't know of a mechanism that the federal government has to go out and administer shots to people short of actually ordering the army out, and the army isn't equipped for that either. So, I mean, this is something that is going to require a good-faith effort on all levels of government, not a bunch of squabbling politicians. Do you think there is a political consequence coming for someone in provincial governments or in the federal government for the fact that there are people all over the world who have been vaccinated on a on a timetable much faster than Canadians have been? And if everybody has a, a family member or a friend in another country, whether it's the United States, the United Kingdom or elsewhere, where they can say, hey, that person's the same age as me and they were vaccinated a couple of weeks ago, and I still haven't been, or something like that. Uh, I'm sure there are people that have that point of view, uh, but at the same time, you know, some of the places that have been slowest in rolling out the vaccine, for instance, Nova Scotia or Newfoundland, are also places that the other measures that we talked about a minute ago have been effective. Uh, so... I don't know that the governments in, in, say, well, there's just been an election in Newfoundland. There's going to be one soon in Nova Scotia. But I don't know that people are blaming those governments for rolling out the vaccine too slowly because, in fact, the measures already taken, the lockdowns, the closures, the social isolation, all of those things have contributed to a much safer environment here in Atlantic Canada, even though we are slow to roll out the vaccine. Um, you know, the the pressure is on um, with Doug Ford in Ontario and, and with Legault in Quebec or Kenny in Alberta. That's where the real pressure is. And those are the places, NBC, where, where the, uh, you know, where the coronavirus is bursting out again and causing a lot of damage that won't be easily repaired. Aaron O'Toole, the conservative leader, is saying that if he becomes prime minister, there will be a public inquiry into the government's response to the pandemic. Patty Haidu, the health minister, has said that uh, there there could be some type of inquiry, but it would only come after the pandemic is over. What do you think about that? Well, I think there is going to have to be a major inquiry of some sort into how Canada responded to the uh, global pandemic. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think it would be irresponsible not to. However, I think what Aaron O'Toole is proposing is a public uh, roasting of the Liberal Party and, and the Liberal government, um, you know, which is, that doesn't fly. That just, look to me, looks like just 
pure partisanship. The conservatives federally have had zero to do with fighting the uh, pandemic, other than contributing to parliamentary debates. Um, they don't have, share any of the credit or any of the blame in terms of fighting uh, the pandemic. So for uh, O'Toole to say, oh, yeah, well, we're going to have a public inquiry into the liberals, which is, in effect, what he's saying. Uh, I become the government. We'll blame everything on the previous government and that'll everything will be great. That That is just not going to fly. And uh, I mean, Health Minister Patty, how do I mean, she is an extremely partisan actor herself. And um, saying, you know, the rather obvious that there will have to be an inquiry, investigation, whatever you want to call it, Royal Commission or something. Um, and, I, I, you know, I do actually agree. You, it's a, something that is required, but I can't see doing it in the middle of the pandemic. We don't know if there's a fourth, fifth and sixth wave still ahead of us. So the, the dust is far from settled and uh, the time for inquiries is later, not now. All right, Dan, let's turn to the allegations of sexual misconduct on the part of the former chief of the defense staff, General Jonathan Vance. Uh, Harjit Sajjan, the defense minister, says he had a number of conversations with his former chief of staff on the allegation that was raised in 2018, as well, Michael Werner, uh, Wernick, rather, the former uh, chief, uh, clerk of the Privy Council, uh, testified before a parliamentary committee yesterday saying there was no path forward to launch any kind of investigation into the allegations against Vance, uh, which I think a lot of people will find interesting that there isn't a mechanism that could have been employed, that they, he's basically saying that there wasn't a way to do a full investigation. What do you make of all of that? Well, I guess that is possible because really, um, you know, not likely anyone has foreseen um, allegations of this type being made against the most senior military officer in the country. Uh, Jonathan Vance was at the top of the pyramid, and there aren't a lot of other tentacles embracing that top spot that could be used. Although, you know, this really points out a, a, a great weakness, if you ask me, in the chain of command. You know, if they can investigate this type of allegation, how would they then investigate other types of corruption that might be alleged against uh, uh, the chief of the defense staff or other senior officers? Um, but, you know, this is just going around in circles now, Mark. You know, what did they know? Who did they know it? I think the end result is that uh, Minister uh, Sajjan has been fatally wounded by this. I, I can't see how he could continue on much longer in that post, given the, the number of contradictions uh, that have emerged about what he knew and, and what actions he did or didn't take. And, you know, let's get, let's face it, you know, Sajjan himself, uh, you know, is a military veteran. He was a army reservist. He fought in Afghanistan very honorably, too, I will, I will add. But he is a member of the military uh, group, of the military uh, community. And uh, there are many countries which ban um, former military officers from becoming uh, head of the military uh, organization. It may be time for Canada to think about those types of things as well, because it just looks a little too cozy, a little too boys club, and not enough rigor in the way the matter has been dealt with. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it, I guess with an election close by, it's hard to to boot a controversial minister. 
but uh, it might be time for Minister Sajjan to start uh, boning up on, I don't know, transportation policy or grain shipping or something like that, because um, I just can't see how he can carry on uh, in office given all that's happened. All right, Dan, great to have your perspectives on all of this. Thank you. Okay, Mark. That's Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster. Different jurisdictions are uh, making uh, the decisions that, uh, that they feel are appropriate for them uh, to keep people safe, to get through this as quickly as possible. And uh, I'm going to uh, check in with him to see uh, what we can offer as a federal government to help uh, get Ontarians and indeed all Canadians through this as quickly as possible. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues, our governments continue to fail us amid the third wave of COVID-19. Mason writes, there hasn't been anything resembling a cohesive response to the virus and its mutant relatives. We might as well have been 13 separate countries. It's pretty much been a jumbled, disjointed mess from the start. There were ways to confront this disease that ultimately wouldn't have been nearly as painful as the path most governments in this country chose to go down. Canada has seldom felt less united than it does now, or more vulnerable to the failings of its political leadership class. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues, incoherence reigns as Ontario struggles with the third wave. The Star writes, it would be hard enough for any government to keep up, For Ontario's government, it's clearly an impossibility. Judging by Doug Ford's words on Tuesday, it sounds like he may be on the brink of taking the kind of tougher measures urged in recent days by medical officers of health and independent experts. But it will come after another wasted week of soaring COVID numbers, and the delay will mean it will take just that much longer to get things under control. In the National Post... Tasha Carradine looks ahead to the Liberal and NDP policy conventions. Carradine writes, Both the Liberals and NDP are banking on the same belief, that Canadians have an appetite for greater state intervention. The question is, how far-reaching that intervention should be. Both parties' designs also reveal their Achilles heel, their obsession with centralizing power in Ottawa. This could cause problems for both parties in Quebec, where intrusion into provincial jurisdiction is political poison. Expect the Bloc Québécois to rub its hands with glee. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. This afternoon, a parliamentary committee will continue hearings into the proposed mega-merger in Canada's telecommunications sector. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, this afternoon, the House of Commons Industry Committee will continue to look into the proposed $26 billion buyout by Rogers Communications of Shaw Communications. The committee has heard from the heads of the two companies who have argued that the merger will be beneficial for Canadian consumers. But MPs on the committee have also heard from competing telecom companies and from consumer groups who have expressed concerns about the effect of moving from four big telecom giants in Canada to only three. Concerns have been raised about concentration, a reduction in competition and the effects on price and choice for Canadian consumers. Today, the three regulatory or regulation bodies or government agencies which will have a say on whether the merger goes goes ahead will appear before the committee. MPs will hear from Ian Scott, the head of the CRTC, Canada's telecom regulator, which will have to give the go-ahead and potentially impose conditions on the mega-merger. 
They'll also hear from Matthew Boswell. He is the head of the Competition Bureau, which will also review the impact of the buyout. And they'll hear from senior officials from the Federal Industry Department. So Mark, an interesting set of witnesses before the Industry Committee at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time today. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will host a call with provincial and territorial premiers. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will participate virtually in the G20 Finance Ministers and Central Bank Governors meeting, followed by a bilateral meeting with the United States Secretary of the Treasury. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will speak at an event hosted by the Nanaimo Chamber of Commerce. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will talk about solutions the NDP has proposed to help families and to stop the spread of COVID-19. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne and Public Service Minister Anita Anand will take part in an event to mark a milestone in domestic manufacturing of personal protective equipment. National Revenue Minister Diane Le Boutelier will hold a news conference to talk about support for eight organizations working in the tourism and winter tourism sectors in Quebec. Government House Leader Pablo Rodriguez will attend a news conference about support for Quality Group in Quebec. And Minister of Women Mariam Monsef will make a virtual announcement and hold a fireside chat to speak about support for women's and equality-seeking organizations in Ontario. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, April the 7th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.